Hello everyone, I'm Alan Mellish, Director of Events and Online Content here at the Human Capital Institute, and this is 9 to Thrive HR. Today's episode is brought to you by the good people at D2L Corporation. To learn more about D2L and all the great work they do, simply visit www.d2l.com. Now today on 9 to Thrive HR, we're going to try a slightly different format for the show. I'm going to introduce our guests and let them talk amongst themselves. So uh, first online here, we have uh, Lindsay Duncan, Senior Instructional Designer and Team Lead at D2L. And then she's gonna be discussing uh, some exciting topics with Kara Mitchellmore, who's the CEO of the Canadian Center for Professional Legal Education, or CPLED. Everyone, welcome to 9 to Thrive HR. Thanks so much for having us. Um, so as was introduced, my name is Lindsay Duncan, and we are talking to Kara Mitchell-Moore, the CEO of CPLED, who at D2L, in D2L's Learning and Creative Services, we worked with CPLED to help them build their pre-certification program, and that's what we're here to talk to them today about. So Kara, to get started, can you tell us a little bit about your program? Of course, uh, and thanks for having me. So the prep program, which is the practice readiness education program, is the bar admission program that all lawyers have to complete in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Nova Scotia. And it came about by the fact that we were seeing, at the, at the regulator level, we were seeing a lot of issues with students or new lawyers, I should say, not having the required skills that they needed. Um, and that of course leads to complaints that can lead to insurance claims. Um, and it doesn't do what the regulator is deemed you know, responsible for, which is protecting the public trust. So we were tasked with building this new program based on a detailed competency framework, dealing with the competencies that a lawyer would need to uh, be able to perform based on the following scenario. The following scenario would be if a student articled with a firm and then they didn't get hired as a lawyer, they still got called to the bar and then they went out and became a sole practitioner. What are the practical skills that they need to know how to do? They know substantive law, but what do they need to know how to do from a business perspective and from a public trust perspective in order to be successful? So that's how we um, came about building the program or the concept of the program. The program has four phases. Uh, so the first phase is online content. We've worked very closely with uh, Desire to Learn or D2L um, on building out this content that in the legacy programs was very dry. And uh, we did use D2L in the past, but we really just used it as a repository for text. We had a lot of text in there. Uh, in the new program, we didn't want it to be that way. So we worked quite closely uh, with D2L on making it more visually appealing, um, making it more interactive for the students as they're going through it. So they have, you know, their videos or um, assessments and multimedia and uh, the like. And so the first part is all self-directed learning. So, and then after that, they come to us for a workshop where now they've seen some stuff and we've told them some stuff. Now we put them into a workshop over a week and they get to start to practice what they're doing. It's called a spiral learning pattern. 
from there, they go into the third component, which was, again, um, worked heavily with D2L on the virtual law firm. So the virtual law firm has three streams within it, uh, business law, criminal law, family law, and real estate, and the student goes through a scenario in each one of these streams and continues to practice and practice and practice and practice the different skills that we're looking for. And then the fourth is the capstone piece. Now, um, that is where only then they are being assessed for entry level competence. So that's the spiral learning pattern. It's used a lot in the medical field. Uh, we do a lot of OSCE type testing where, you know, you do something with a low risk, you get feedback, and then you do it again. And, you know, the risk is a little bit higher and you get feedback. Um, going, you know, really making sure that they have multiple times to practice these skills before they are assessed for entry level competency. And, um, it really, that's probably my favorite part of the program overall is how integrated it is. The legacy program that we had in place, well, I call it a one and done program. You would do a module and then you would never do it again. And that's not how you learn to be competent. Competence comes from practice and experience. So that integrative piece is really, really key uh, for them to understand uh, what they're doing and be able to reflect upon it as opposed to just, you know, jumping through a hoop, if you will. Awesome. Thank you. There's obviously been so much planning that's gone into this program. Can you tell us a little bit about what that planning phase was like and, you know, kind of how long it took? I mean, planning is really, really important. And I would suggest anyone who's going to take on a project of this magnitude. I mean, this was a $3 million project and it had a definitive timeline. Um, you really, we didn't rush the planning process. So we started planning out what we wanted it to look like. I would say in the spring, late spring of 18. And so late spring of 18, we started really trying to figure out what is it that we were going to do. We didn't develop anything until January of 19. So, you know, we spent months on um, planning and, and talking to D2L and what did we think we wanted it to look like and building out the competency framework and getting the buy-in for that. Um, and then recruiting everybody that we had to recruit in order to get this done. Uh, but really, you know, we spent a lot of time not only planning, but budgeting. You know, it's a lot of money up front when you're trying to build this. And, and what we thought we wanted when we started, like many projects and, and project creep, you know, it changed. We were like, oh, well, we want this. Oh, well, we want this. And then we would have to work with D2L because, you know, we're changing the scope of the project. And so we spent a lot of time, there's, you know, really strong project management skills, spent a lot of time trying to flesh out everything before we really developed anything. Um, so, you know, that process was intensive, uh, but it gave us a really, really good building block because we had the plan. We knew what we were going to do. Yes, the plan shifted and, and that did happen. Um, but at the end of the day, I was glad that we took the time um, to really flesh out what it is that we thought that we wanted. And even with that, I mean, we really had to, you know, 
talk about work back schedules, right? So how are we going to make this happen? This this product has to be ready for June 1. And, and right now we're still in development. It's not complete yet. You know, we're piloting. So, I mean, you'd have to talk about that. Um, we had to make sure we had clear accountabilities, who was going to be responsible for what and let them run with it and, uh, and not get involved. Uh, I spent a lot of my time asking that question, who's doing this? Who am I going to? Who's the one person I'm going to go to uh, to find out where this is at? Uh, consistent expectations, very clearly laid out early, early in the program, uh, really important. And then collaborate as much as possible right before you go down the road, because what's in one person's head can quickly get out of control. So we really tried to collaborate on a continuous basis with everybody. And even with that, you know, we still, the development team would do something that the administrative team who's going to be responsible for rollout had no idea what was going on. So you still, even when you're trying your best to collaborate before things go too far down the road, you can run into some issues. So, um, you know, the other thing that we did was we planned pilots and the pilots, we have two pilots before the launch. So I have one pilot that started in August of 19. They just finished last week. Uh, and then I have another pilot that started in February and they will finish in October. So they won't finish by the time we go to full launch, but by the time my full launch students, you know, 800 students or so, uh, by the time they hit each component, that component would have gone through two pilots. And we take the pilots very, very seriously. And I, you know, if you're not going to take the pilot seriously, it's a waste of time to do one if you're not going to incorporate the feedback. So part of being the pilot was students were expected to give detailed feedback on every element of the program. So what they liked, what they didn't like, um, any technical issues, things that were repetitive, uh, because we didn't know if things were repetitive because we hired subject matter experts for each of our module build outs and they don't talk to each other. So there, you know, there were instances where there, things were done twice. So then we went back to the author and said, okay, take this out, replace this, you know, make the changes. So, and we're, we weren't looking for preference. We were looking for trends, right? So someone might not like, I can, I can show you feedback where one person hated an article and the next person thought it was the best article in the program. So really looking for trends uh, and using that feedback to make the necessary changes, which is what we're doing right now in the virtual law firm and in the foundation modules. So we take it very seriously. And I think that that's going to make a much better product at the end. I, I really can't emphasize that enough that what we typically see um, course builds struggle with the most, CPLED has really done exceptionally well at, you know, really coming in with that full competency plan, even though there were adjustments there, coming in with that plan fairly well flushed out, um, the idea that you were actually doing a pilot and that we didn't have to convince you of that. Um, I think those are two really really exceptional pieces of your program. Have you encountered any roadblocks along the planning phases that you weren't necessarily anticipating? It's a good question. I think that, you know, the roadblocks are just, you don't know what you don't know. So you're going in a little bit blind um, when you go into building out a program. And, and I think any roadblocks probably were the responsibility of CPLED. I would say, because, you know, we would, 
go down a road and then say, okay, this isn't working or we want something different or we would make that decision. And then of course that would put D2L in a position where they would have to pivot. So I think that the, you know, if it was a roadblock, it was based on our user experience. It wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't that, that D2L didn't give us what we said we wanted. It was that when we saw it, we were like, no, that's not what we want. Right. So there's a little bit of that and trying to get into our heads um, and, you know, in such a short time frame to, to build a product uh, when you don't start building until January of 19 and it's going to be delivered. And this is a year long product. This isn't one course. This is a nine month course. It's going to be delivered in June of 20. Um, the big, you know, you're, you're really pressed for time. So that's that's really, I think, um an issue and a consideration because sometimes when you're in it, you don't necessarily understand that you're not someone's only client, right? And so your time frame or your timeline might not necessarily match up with theirs. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. Timelines, as much as you kind of lay out when things are going to happen and what what you're expecting to be those milestones along the way. There there has to be that bit of flexibility to adapt and pivot. And I think you guys at CPLED were really great about doing that and and communicating those changes and, and that those needs up front, which was really helpful. A little bit ago, you talked about your SMEs and and all of the different people on your team and taking the time to plan out um, who was involved and and picking the right members of your team. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you picked everybody um, from project managers down to SMEs and and everybody else in between? Uh, Sure. I mean, I picked my project manager because I I had worked with this individual for many, many years, knew that she was going to get something done on time and on budget. And she was very aggressive in how she goes about that. And that's what we needed. You know, we needed someone who was going to keep everybody on point. But then for the material, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but the project manager wasn't a lawyer. Um, So we needed lawyers, subject matter experts, building out the materials. We wanted representation from all of our participating jurisdictions. So we actively recruited subject matter experts from across the country, uh, created a bit of a database, if you will, of talent, and then started assigning things to them, um, the module work. And so we would have at least two SMEs on each module. There's 12 modules. So we would have one lead author, if you will, they'd be given a template, they'd be given a page limit so that they had to stay within it. Uh, and they would build out the content and they would also have to give us a report on how and where all of the competencies are being addressed within what they're doing so that we knew the competencies were being um, checked off, if you will. And so these, you know, and these, we had to be cognizant of time. These SMEs, they're, they're lawyers, they're working. They're working full time. We paid them. Um, but you know, none of, no one who was doing this was doing it for the money. Uh, most of them have been involved in the legacy program, wanted to give back, knew what some of the deficiencies were and, uh, were very excited about getting on board and, and building something that really, um, will change the landscape on how lawyers are trained in this country. So we had a great group 
reviewers, never had a problem getting reviewers for jurisdictional um, issues. And then, you know, the biggest challenge we'll have going forward, of course, is we will probably need to recruit upward to around 300 individuals to participate in the program, whether it's an assessor, a project manager, or a facilitator. But we don't seem to have a problem with buy-in. Everyone wants to give back. And uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting experience coordinating them for the first phase. And, and just speaking for myself and having worked firsthand with those different SMEs that you've collected, you know, just the the enthusiasm that they had for the content and what they were helping to be a part of was just so unique to see. It was really, it made the whole thing worthwhile. Um, and I think the other point to emphasize there is that you had somebody overseeing all of the content. So you had that reviewer coming in and making sure that there was a consistency across those different modules and having somebody to come in and proofread um, to make sure that the language was consistent and clear. Um, so that really helped before it even came over to D2L. And, you know, and, and even with that, you're, you're training lawyers, right? So you, you need to understand that lawyers are trained to be critical. So <laughs> I got a lot of errata files from the pilot, it, even after it passed through eyes. So you can only imagine what it would have been like if it hadn't gone through that process. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what has been so successful with this. So you're currently in the pilot phase program. You've had lots of feedback from your students so far. Um, what has some of that feedback been? What's attributed to the success so far? I think, you know, you get positive feedback, you get negative feedback, and you have to take both. Um, I don't ask for feedback to hear a great job, but it's always nice to get that every once in a while. We do feel... Uh, we that they love the applicability of what it is that we're training them for. So we don't teach substantive law, nor do we test substantive law in the program. They've gone through law school. They've, they've been tested for that. And so the ability to, you know, interview the ability on multiple occasions. And, and interestingly enough, you know, the, they liked the ability that they could interview remotely with a sim client or the simulated client. Um, and that actually helped them when they did their capstone. So, you know, and I've had students come up to me and say, you know, when I was doing the foundation modules, I was like, why am I doing all of this? And then they would come to the foundation workshop and all the lights would go on. Oh, that's why I'm doing this. Right. So that is, has really been, um, great feedback for us to get that they're, you know, they feel more competent. They're more confident, uh, when they come out of the program, there are, you know, there, there are some, but these you are know, the same people who don't want to do any bar ad program, uh, who will say, oh, it's too much time, um, doing this and articling. And, you know, we originally, when we went out, we thought this program was going to take around 300 to 350 in terms of hours in the program. And uh, as you know, and the existing program wasn't taking that long. So there was a little bit of concern with that, but by working with D2L, we were able to carve off a lot of lengthy readings and other things that took a lot of time, replace them with interactive components and drive down the hours to between 250 and 275, depending on reading speed. So 
while students will always say that they, they want less time, I think that uh, we've been able to accommodate that through uh, working with technology. And I also think that, you know, the feedback that we're getting um, from the students, in particular in the capstone, because we have them do a reflection piece, is that they're feeling stronger, they have a better idea of how to work as a lawyer, not just about knowing the law. So I think that that's been uh, a big key learning for us and we'll continue to build on this is, you know, this project, it's not a one and done, you know, we, we're, we'll be investing in this, in this product and evolving it year after year uh, so that it remains relevant and vibrant and something that the students you know, they may not even see the value while they're going through the program, but their firms will see it because they'll be much more equipped. Yeah. What I love about this program is just the the amount of practical exercise that you've put into it and really taking advantage of the technology tools to have them practice speaking, practice interviewing, practice negotiating, all of those key pieces that you can try to teach somebody how to do, but until they actually have the opportunity to do it, um, they, they really don't get to really reflect on those skills. And so I think the way that CPLED has incorporated those tools um, into the program has been just phenomenal and, and students will really see the value of that. I think that firms will see the value first. So I think that the employer will see someone who's coming to them ready to hit the ground running. Um, and, you know, that will be our first leading indicator. You know, you don't know what you don't know, right? If you haven't taken the legacy program and then taken prep and see the differences, you know, you, you don't know that one program is um, significantly more hands-on than the other, but the firms that's the feedback that I'll be looking for probably in the first one to two years is how do they see their students? Are their students coming in more prepared? Are, are they having to take as much time showing them basics, right? Where with this program, that shouldn't be the issue. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I like where you say that you're taking, you've set aside time each year to take the feedback to apply and enhance the course, make those improvements year over year um, from training departments and design departments. Just the fact that you've set aside that budget and you're thinking proactively there is an incredible thing that many, many organizations don't take the time to think that far ahead. And I, I can't emphasize how, how excited it is that you've done that and, and are thinking years down the road. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, I was brought in, I was hired to build this program because the legacy program had not been changed much, maybe a little, but in 16 years. So it was old and it was stale. So really, you know, you, you can quickly get to that point if you're making short-term decisions on budget. Oh, well, we just won't, you know, we won't do this enhancement for the course. We won't do that enhancement for the course, but it's short-term thinking. That's it's really nice to see. Um, just in kind of the last couple minutes that we have here, in in light of where we're at in this current state of COVID nineteen, 
How has CFLED had to adapt? Um, you guys are currently running some face-to-face sessions, I understand, or, or that was the intention. How have you guys had to shift with everything? Yeah. I mean, and we had to shift pretty quickly. Uh, our capstone, uh, or, you know, that's the assessment week, was meant to be in person. And so that was, you know, in the last week or the second last week in April. So we had to very quickly turn everything into online. And uh, because we had done so much with them online while they were in the virtual law firm, it wasn't that big a transition for the student. It took a lot of planning on our end to make sure that everything was running the way that it should be. But, you know, like we had students who said, well, I had to interview my my simulated client online throughout the program. So this was no different. So that was great. Right. Um, And we were able to move everything to a digital platform. In actuality, we will be doing everything virtually for the first uh, the first year because of social distancing. We don't think that we'll be in a position where we'll be able to seat all of our students two meters apart and find facilities for that. Um, so again, not only are we piloting the program, now we're piloting uh, moving from a face-to-face environment to a virtual environment. We have, and then now we have foundation workshops that are starting in May for our February group. And we have to make sure we can deliver that virtually as well. So we're working with D2L to see what are our options? How can we make this work? Um, can we test bandwidth, um, you know, and moving all of that to an online environment? But I do think that whenever we get to our new normal and whatever that looks like, the way of delivering education will change. And uh, I'm a firm believer in uh, distance education. And I think that it saves a lot of issues, a lot of problems for um, for students, uh, for facilities. Um, you know, you think about the student who's a single mom and has to travel to another city for a whole week for a face-to-face. The firm's not paying for her hotel and she can't find childcare. Like those are big, those are real issues uh, or, you know, someone's up north or whatever the case may be. So I think the ability to put this online and make it interactive and make it uh, engaging, um, those organizations who take that step will be way ahead of the curve. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I, I think it's phenomenal of what you're doing to make sure that this can be offered you know, potentially as a face-to-face, but also as a purely online without compromising that student experience. Um, I can't applaud you guys enough for, for looking at both sides of that while still maintaining your, your original goal of educating and teaching all of those necessary skills. Well, Kara, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with us today and to share your perspective on this whole program from the the CEO and you know sharing everything that CPLED has done for this prep program. Oh well, no, thank you very much, uh, and it's been a, a great working relationship. So, and you know that will continue as we evolve the product. Excellent, thank you both so much uh, for for sharing the conversation with the HCI audience. Once again, this episode was brought to you by D2L Corporation. Be sure to check them out at d2l.com. And for all ideas related to HR, come visit the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. And don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.